0: From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida
1: Gators. Welcome to a special edition of Gator Tales presented by UF Health. I'm your host, Adam Schick. There have been many greats to walk through the tunnels of the swamp, but none carry the gravitas or charisma of the man who gave the stadium its famous moniker exactly 25 years ago. In the final installment of our special summer series that already featured Scott Strickland and Jim McElwain in episodes 89 and 90, today we narrow our focus on Steve Spurrier. It's tough to learn anything new about someone who spent over 50 years in the public eye, but we sat down with the head ball coach to see what new stories we could uncover about his life, career and new role with the Gators. We began our conversation by finding out how a kid from Johnson City, Tennessee ended up in Gainesville, Florida.
0: Well, first of all, after my senior year in high school, I really wasn't being recruited by Florida. I was Fisted a whole bunch of places, and I just about was ready to go to Ole Miss. Mississippi at that time was really the best SEC school that was throwing the ball around very well. All their quarterbacks threw for a bunch of yards, and and they were winning at Ole Miss uh, in the 60s. And then uh, in January, I didn't sign when most guys were signing. I decided to go ahead and finish basketball season and then sign somewhere after that. And during that time, Coach Graves and University of Florida started recruiting me. And uh, Coach came up two or three times and uh, planned a visit to come down here in March, which I did. I actually came down and watched the spring game. And then after that, I said, man, I'm going to University of Florida. That's the best place in the world for me. And oh, I'm thankful every day that uh, that was the, the decision that I made back
1: then. You've always been something of a maverick, so I imagine it didn't mm-hmm. sit well with the people in Tennessee that you were considering Ole Miss, and it didn't sit well when you went to Florida. Well, know.
0: Tennessee was sort of in disarray right in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, their coach, uh, he resigned, and they had an interim coach, and uh, and then Coach Dickey came a year later. Uh, if Coach Dickey had come a year earlier, I mean, there's a good chance I'd probably gone to Tennessee, mm-hmm. but, but their school was a little bit in, in <laughs> disarray, uh, their coaching situation was messed up, and most of the... Players from Tennessee that had a chance to go elsewhere uh, were going elsewhere, but right during those two or three
1: years. So you've talked a lot over the years about Coach Graves and the impact that he had on you on and off the field. Can you just touch on his influence on your life?
0: He was more of a father-like figure to all the players here. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. just a wonderful guy. I, I mean, he looked out for us in an unbelievable way. I mean, if your parents are coming to town and uh, they needed some tickets or something like that, uh, he always seemed to be able to take care of all of our guys and and, uh, our parents and so forth. And he really looked out for me. I I remember uh, my first day of practice, I wore number 16. And uh, he found out later that I wore number 11 all through high school, and I sort of wanted number 11. So I went down there one day to get my number 16, the equipment guy said, the head man said, you're wearing number 11 from now on. I said, really? He said, yeah. So I was number 11 from then on. But uh, just little things like that, uh, Coach Graves and, of course, all the players in the 60s. Uh, we we have a reunion every year and we're still having it. And, of course, Coach lived to be about 97, I think. Wow. So he had a wonderful life and uh, it was a, a fun time to reminisce uh, with him.
1: Was he the biggest influence on your decision to get into coaching, or where did that come from? No,
0: biggest influence is I needed a job. (laughs) I had no job and very little money. I had a little bit of money, but nothing like uh, NFL players Mm -hmm. get today. Uh, But after 10 years in the NFL, I didn't really know what I wanted to do until I was sitting up in the stands here at the Swamp watching the Gators play. And I just sort of thought if, uh, if I got a chance to be a coach, that'd be fun. I think I could be actually pretty good at it because i'd been around a lot of coaches that uh, were pretty good and some not so good Mm -hmm. and so i figured if i ever got a chance to coach i'd have a chance to to maybe uh, teach the the players how to play and give them some ball plays that have a chance to work Mm -hmm. i was with some coaches uh, we had plays that had no chance and we just kept calling the you know plays with no chance so uh anyway I got a chance uh, Doug Dickey hired me my first year here and got my foot in the door so uh always thankful to coach Dickey
1: for that so do you feel like you had any formal training or was it really just I had no coaches training you worked for it was things I knew that worked and things that didn't work
0: Adam I had no training whatsoever I knew nothing about the rules back then <laughs> you didn't have a test uh, like they do now uh so I, I knew nothing. And on my first recruiting trip, I broke about ten rules because <laughs> I didn't know the rules. <laughs> and uh, when I got back home, they said, well, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't uh, buy uh, a dinner for a high school coach. I said, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> so uh, I learned a bunch of rules right away. Yeah. And then later on, uh, I learned a whole lot about coaching. But but, uh, I tell people all the time, whatever kind of coach I became, I learned how to do it after I was hired as a coach because I knew nothing about it until then.
1: Speaking of recruiting over the years, you recruited a lot of different players. Mm -hmm. I'm curious which ones stand out as being particularly difficult to recruit or someone you really had to go out of your way to convince to come play for you
0: well some uh, most of the players in Florida uh back in the nineties when we were here uh f s u got more than we did uh they recruited better than we did for mm-hmm. some reason I don't know, but they didn't get all of them but if we were recruiting uh uh four players, they got at least three maybe mm-hmm. or two or three something like that uh but we got a lot of good players that they wanted to I, I shouldn't say that, and they were uh they obviously were probably the most talented team during that era of the nineties also and uh, they won two national championships in those 14 years. But FSU could have won eight or nine mm-hmm. uh, with one win here or there every year. They lost one game uh, for 12 years that would have been the difference in a national championship. So they were, the, they were the toughest for us to beat in recruiting and actually the toughest to beat on the field.
1: Was it difficult to sell Florida at the time you came to Florida? And how did mm-hmm. it compare trying mm-hmm. to sell South Carolina mm-hmm. at the time you went up there?
0: Well, first of all, when I got here, we were under investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really a phony charge uh, against Galen Hall. Galen Hall was not a cheater. Now, the guy before him was. We all know that. And uh, he was fired, and let go, and uh, we paid for that. Uh, but they had a charge of somebody paying a child support payment in Palatka for a player in 1986, four years prior. And that was the only violation that uh, I guess our university pled guilty and, uh... It was never proven, and later I learned that uh, maybe a, a Ford dealer down in Palatka helped uh, pay for the child support payment, and he'd known him, you know, all his life, pretty much down there in Palatka. So it really wasn't even a violation, mm-hmm. but because of that, uh, we were denied being called the champion in 1990, and right. that's that's what happened. Uh, but that team won it as fair and square as any of them. So once we got that investigation out of the way, it was pretty clear sailing after that. We we had number one recruiting class in the country with Danny Worf and those guys. Uh, And that was after the uh, 91 season. Mm -hmm. So we were able to redshirt Danny in 92 and all those guys. Uh, And, of course, that that was the group that uh, won uh, the national championship and those four straight SECs. Uh, In my 12 years here, we had two number one classes. Had another one in 99. Just happened to get a whole bunch of players that last day. And uh, really the 2001 team was – as talented as any we had here. just mm-hmm. uh, We had two close games and lost both of them. Mm-hmm. Other than that, we clobbered everybody.
1: So then when you were at South Carolina, what were the challenges of taking a program that people didn't think that highly of at that point and making it a destination for top recruits?
0: <laughs> well, it's still never going to be a destination for top recruits. <laughs> but we were able to get uh, the best in our state.
1: Mm-hmm. And we
0: got Marcus Lattimore, Jadavion Clowney, uh, Stefan Gilmore. And, uh, and then we got some kids out of Georgia because there's so many players from the state of Georgia. Uh, and, and that's how we built it up there, getting the top players in our state and uh, some of the surrounding states. So that, that was the key there, bringing in uh, those talented guys. And, uh, they, you know, quarterback Connor Shaw had a sensational three-year run there and uh, just had a lot of good players. So that, that was the key, recruiting those in-state players.
1: When you look at the three programs Mm -hmm. that you built, Mm -hmm. what connective tissue ran through all of them? What were the similarities at all three places, and and what were some of the differences? Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Well, all the teams had pretty good offenses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our offensive coach was pretty good, whoever he was. (laughs) But, no, uh, the three years at Duke, we did. We led the ACC in offense every year. Mm -hmm. Steve Slayton, the quarterback, Anthony Dillwig. Gosh, he was player of the year and uh, all ACC quarterback and everything. And then in 89, the year we won the uh, ACC championship, two quarterbacks played, Billy Ray and Dave Brown, and and we were number one in the league in offense. Uh, In Florida, uh, we had good offenses and good defense Mm -hmm. now. Now uh, a defense that was first or second in the conference all the time, and that's why we were able to win uh, by big scores a lot of the times and and win, win all those championships. So that that was uh, the biggest difference. South Carolina, we didn't quite have uh, as explosive offenses as we had at Duke or here for some reason. Uh, just the talent level mm-hmm. maybe a little different and so forth. But uh, those kids played well. It was a good run up there, and the run of those three straight Lebman two seasons. So it was uh, it was a good time up there.
1: Was building the infrastructure similar at every place, or did they each present different challenges? Uh,
0: well, there was plenty of players, really, at both places. And mm-hmm. even at South Carolina, we, we inherited a decent team. They were 6-5 and five the year before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we had decent teams. It wasn't rock bottom. Uh, but here at Florida, it was really loaded with players. Uh, returned eight starters from the number three defense in the nation the year before. In the offensive line, we had all fourth- and fifth-year players for two years there that could really play Eric Rett. And we found Shane Matthews sitting on the dummies mm-hmm. in practice who <laughs> turned out to be the uh, SEC player of the year, his first and second year. So uh, the players were already here. And uh, sometimes people think a coach comes in and you give him two or three years to build his program. That doesn't happen. A coach is a good coach, mm-hmm. uh, Bobby Stoops, he won the national championship his second year at Oklahoma. That means the players are already there and uh, we, we were able to win right away here because the players
1: are already here. When you look on your time with the Redskins, the NFL, how do you look back on that? Do you, do you wish you had done things differently? Do you wish you had done it at all? How do you reflect on that?
0: I reflect back that uh, I made a mistake. Uh, first of all, leaving Florida so early uh, back then. Uh, there was a thinking that a coach in his 60s was probably about finished. And I always, in the back of my mind, thought – I'd coach in the NFL, maybe five, six years, something like that, and see if could win a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And I, I picked the wrong team. Uh, I had a choice to go to some other teams, but I picked the one that offered the most money, <laughs> and that didn't work out. And I, Understandable uh, though. I got the owners, the general manager, and the personnel director, and everything. And uh, <laughs> but what he did do, uh, my son Scotty met his future wife up there, <laughs> so that was a good. Uh, Omen, and it also gave me a chance to go to South Carolina after taking a year off and uh and become uh, the winningest coach in south carolina history so i'm i'm thankful and appreciative of the way it all
1: worked out Did you find that it 's the same as in college you either have the players or you don't
0: Well, you have to have uh organization and uh players teams uh you know a lot goes into a team mm-hmm. a lot a lot goes into it. And uh, it's got to really start from the top. In college, uh, you have a president and an athletic director, but they don't really interfere sure. with the head coach, the assistant coaches, and the team. Uh, the pro team, they have a owner and a general manager, and they sort of uh, are heavily involved in mm-hmm. running the team. But uh, it just didn't work out, and uh, I didn't do a very good job, and uh, we didn't have very good teams. So, but it did give me an opportunity to go to South Carolina that uh, – My wife, Jerry, and I I thoroughly enjoyed.
1: When you think back over your coaching career, and and everybody Mm -hmm. from the outside has their favorite moment, their favorite game, do you have particular moments or games you reflect on that that really stick with you?
0: Certainly there are games that are keys uh, to your success down the road. Uh, In 1989, uh, at Duke, we opened up one and three, and it was the same week that uh, Galen Hall was let go. And uh, a friend of mine, Frank Campisi, who's good friends with Fred Fisher, mm-hmm. he called me up, and we're one and three, and he's, he said, Steve, uh, we'd like to hire you down here, but if you go three and eight, four and seven, probably can't hire you. Just want to let you know that. Mm-hmm. there's any way you can go six and five <laughs> or something like that. And I said, Frank, I can't worry about the Florida job. I got to worry about the Duke job. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're playing Clemson this week. They're 4-0. and oh. We're one and three. They're about 20-point favorites. Wow. And we're going to try to find a way to see if we can't uh, upset these guys or whatever. And uh, so that week we did. We had some rah-rah events happen during the week. We were really ready to play. Uh, Our little starting tailback got hurt, and the guy behind him came in, Randy Cuthbert, and was running over guys, through them, knocking them backwards, a big inspiration to the team. And some things happened during the course of that game. It's hard to explain. And we upset Clemson 21-17. to Hmm. But what was most important about winning that one is we won all the rest of them. Uh, Some teams can have a huge upset and then get beat the next week. So you look back and it's no big deal. But uh, that win set up uh, all the wins the rest of the way through. Uh, Duke wins the ACC championship. I get the job at Florida. We win the first year, the second year, almost the third year, and away we kept going.
1: Did you always envision being the head coach of Florida, no. or did it just sort of happen that way?
0: No. When I got into coaching, I thought maybe I could uh, someday maybe be a head coach at, like, one of those uh, non-Power 5 conference schools, East Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, UAB, something like that, maybe. Uh, back uh, in those days, it seemed like a coach would stay 10 years. I said, well, shoot coach at Florida. He'll probably be there all during my coaching career, how long ever it may be. (laughs) Uh, So I had no idea, but certainly uh, uh, I I wanted to coach at Florida uh, when I was coaching the Tampa Bay Bandits. Uh, I'll give you a quick story. Uh, When Charlie Pell was fired during the course of the season there in uh, 1985 I think it was. 85. We played in the spring down in Tampa Mm -hmm. Bay with the Bandits USFL. So I was available. And I told the owner of the Bandits, John Bassett, I said, uh, Bill Carr, the Florida AD, is coming down to talk to me mm-hmm. about the Florida job. If he tells me job's mine, then I'm going to be in Gainesville <laughs> in two hours. I'm already <laughs> packed. I can be there in two hours. And uh, he said, ah, you don't want to do that or something. So anyway, so Bill Carr and, and uh, Richard Giannini came down to talk to me about it. They, they just let him go. And uh, they hadn't announced the interim coach yet at mm-hmm. that time. And Bill Carr said, we're going to. Let Galen Hall be the interim coach through the end of the year. And then after that, we're going to hire the best coach in America that we can hire. And I looked at him and I said, if if that's your plan, I can tell you right now who you're going to hire. He looked at me funny. He said, well, you don't know who we're going to hire. Yeah, I do, too. You're going to hire Galen Hall because he's going to win because he has a loaded team up there. They had a bunch of players that went on to the NFL, and they were really good. Wilbur Marshall and that wow. crew and so forth. So he looked at me funny. He didn't know he was going to hire Galen Hall, but uh, any interim coach that inherits a a loaded team like that, that's Mm -hmm. usually what happens.
1: So you had the chance to coach against so many legends over your time of becoming a legend. Mm -hmm. Are there any that stand out in terms of great competitors? Was there anybody you really looked forward to matching up against or maybe didn't because of how good they were?
0: I got to coach against George Allen twice. Uh, The first game, uh, they came down to Tampa Bay. And we had actually won our first four. My first year as a head coach, we, we opened up 4-0, and and, man, we were the toast of the league. Mm-hmm. And uh, George Allen brought his Chicago Blitz team down there. And their uh, free safety, Luther, oh, what was Luther's last name? Luther White, I want to say, but that's a teammate of mine. Luther Bradley. <laughs> Luther Bradley. <laughs>
1: no one will know the difference. Luther
0: here. Bradley intercepted six passes that wow. night. John Reeves. Uh, threw about five of them. And I think Jimmy <laughs> Jordan threw the last one. Uh, but they had a good plan. They schemed up our our, our patterns. And uh, uh, that little play we used to throw over the middle, uh, we'd fake the draw and throw it about 15, 18 yards over the middle. One sports writer one time said that nobody stopped that play over the middle i said oh yeah they can all they do is got to put a guy right there <laughs> and that's what they did uh they uh their safety would play deep and as soon as the ball snapped he'd run up there about 15 and we threw it right to him mm-hmm. about four times <laughs> and uh so anyway they they out schemed us and beat us bad uh, but then the next year uh they were actually their franchise moved to arizona and uh we beat them out there and uh George Allen said, "This is a big win for you, Steve." I didn't, I didn't think it was any big win, mm-hmm. but he thought it was a big win because I got a win over him. Right, by, right. I think. <laughs> my,
1: I don't know. You're so famous over the years for needling coaches and for saying, you know, that you can't spell citrus without U T. Things like that. Was it? Part of your goal to try and get under people's skin, or is that just you being yourself?
0: I did all that in the off season. That that was just funny stuff for our fans in the off season. Mm -hmm. During the season, I didn't try to needle anybody, and and I always said if the other schools, uh, Bobby Bowden did it, he wants to say little corny things about the Gators. That's fine. Mm -hmm. It it wouldn't upset me. Uh, So I don't know why the other coaches even listen. it was it was just uh, me sort of talking to our gators when we d- did the gator clubs tours in the summer mm-hmm. and i did 2122 for 12 years oh wow or 11 years i guess i didn't do them after my last year so uh <laughs> yeah it was uh, just a little something to laugh about with the gators nothing i'm trying not make fun or mm-hmm. not trying to needle anybody uh, but at times uh, if they wanted to listen then that, that was okay with me
1: One moment that fans always remember is when you came back to Gainesville for the first time coaching the Gamecocks in 2006. What do you remember about that experience? And was it as strange as most people assume that it was?
0: No, it wasn't strange because I hadn't coached here since 2001, uh, so, uh, actually, I coached against them 2005 up, up at South Carolina and then once back down here. But, no, once you're around all your players mm-hmm. and they're your guys, it's just your guys against the other team. That's the way uh, I always try to look at it. Uh, sometimes our players, uh, they don't even know who the coaches are on the other team. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people always ask you what coach is more difficult. I said, our guys don't even know who the head coach is. Cause we, don't, we, don't t- we don't talk about him all right. week. We just talk about what kind of offense and defense the other team uses and, and go from there.
1: You talked about scheming up against uh, <laughs> against George Allen. If you were an up-and-coming coach today, would the fun and gun work to the same degree that it did in the 90s or if defenses evolved too much?
0: I think. We had the talent uh, here, obviously, to make it work. It's a little more difficult nowadays uh, because the defense is uh, disguised better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Early 90s, uh, the defensive coaches would just sort of line up and and show you their coverage. And uh, a lot of people don't realize there's a good pass play for every defense. And there's a good defense for every pass play. Mm -hmm. So the key is – get to the right play against the right defense and then your chances of success are much much better all the time a lot of people don't know that Mm -hmm. but uh, if there was one great defense then everybody in the world would be using it sure so there's not one that's better than others it depends on the play that the other team uses and that's why coaching is so important in football the offensive guy calls a play and the defensive coach calls the defense and if you got on better offensive plays than he has on defense, you should do pretty well that right. day. If vice versa, then the defense coach is going to do better that
1: day. So what's the route to finding that? Is it anticipation? Mm-hmm. Is it looking at what they've done so far? Like in game, how did you always, or for the most part, mm-hmm. know the right play against what they were going to run?
0: <laughs> well, again, they did not disguise as much as they do now. Nowadays mm-hmm. they'll sit there and sort of a uh, two-across shell and – Right before the ball snap, they go into their coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they try to hide it and, until the ball snap. snapped. They didn't do that very well back uh, 15 years ago. But then again, uh, what the offense does when they're trying to hide it, then you phony call. You go, <laughs> and hopefully they'll jump right. into there. And then, uh, you know, our quarterbacks were good uh, checking off, calling audibles to get to the best play. Uh, so that's uh, we probably audible a lot more than other, other teams back then also.
1: Overall, when you look at the landscape of college football, what has changed the most during your time?
0: What's changed the most is the shotgun offense, spread, zone read play, and quarterback run, and things of that nature. Uh, teams are throwing, I think, too much now. Uh, too much for you? Listen, <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric Rett ran the ball more than any running back in Florida history. Do really? you know that? I did not know well, that. Well, you got to go look at the stats. I've got to look
1: at it now. Gosh.
0: Eric Rett. Is the leading rusher, I think, in school history, and carried the ball more times. Well, well, he was our starter for four years in a row here, and that's the big reason he was doing that. Uh, when Fred Taylor was here, Terry Jackson played a lot, Eli Williams and other backs, uh, uh, but Eric Red was uh, our guy that uh, got to play a whole bunch and, and, and had the most carries. So no, we we always, yeah, uh, eh, sort of hoped would be around fifty-fifty, but we weren't hung up on that. Uh, Our style of play was pretty simple. We came trying to score as many as we could in the first half. And if we're fortunate to get a big lead, uh, then we start running the ball a bit and consume the clock and uh, put the game away and, and, and go from there.
1: So you spent over 50 years in the game playing and coaching, and now for the first time you're outside of it. What has that been like for you being outside the game for the first time in so long?
0: It's been about what I anticipated. Uh, I knew I wouldn't coach forever, so certainly uh, I was looking forward to uh, whatever came after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I certainly appreciate, thankful that uh, my university, uh, Coach McElwain, Jeremy Foley, and President Fox were all on board to uh, bring me back as an ambassador consultant, uh, try to help out, try to do some fundraising and this, that, and the other around here. So that has been uh, very Uh, special for me and my wife uh, to move back to Gainesville and uh, have a place to go every day in the office. I got an assistant lady that works with me and uh, so I tell everybody I've got a job and it's uh, certainly not a stressful job but uh, whatever I can do to help our university I try to do that so that's what I'm doing now.
1: So what feeds your competitive spirit now that you don't have coaching?
0: Well golf is a sport you can play the rest of your life and I used Mm -hmm. to always tell people you know Here's a sport you can compete in if you like to compete, win or lose. Uh, golf gives a, a person a chance to do that until they're 95 or whatever, <laughs> if they can go that long. Uh, Shane Matthews and I played in the Chick-fil-A tournament. that mm-hmm. wasn't even covered by our, our local paper. Uh, I don't know who's running the sports section down there. Uh, but it's, an, it's a first-class event up at Reynolds Plantation. Uh, I played in it about eight or nine years representing South Carolina mm-hmm. and playing with Sterling Sharp. Uh, a football coach brings a, a former athlete at school, mm-hmm. and they play a two-man scramble. And Chick-fil-A puts up a bunch of money. First prize was 100000 this year. Wow. And second, 80000 Uh So Shane and I caught second place. We uh, yeah. actually played well at the end. And caught second place, and forty thousand went to the general scholarship fund here at the University of Florida, and forty thousand also goes to uh, charities. So uh, that was pretty neat to to do that, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, it was neat to see the Gator flag uh, waving there at Reynolds Plantation mm-hmm. next to the Alabama, and <laughs> Auburn, and uh, all the football coaches that come there. We only had thirteen represented this year, but uh, it was neat to represent our school up there and. Come home with a pretty good paycheck.
1: Yeah, pretty nice. So who got you interested in golf, and who who really Mm. taught you the game?
0: I really got interested here at the University of Florida. Uh, Back when I played here in the 60s, there was no summer workouts. Spring football was over. Uh, That was about it. Guys took off. Most of them went home for the summer. Uh, Coach Graves actually hired me to work with the maintenance crew around the stadium here. So the stadium's got my name on it right now. I actually repaired a bunch of wooden bleachers uh, <laughs> when they got splintered up and so forth uh, back in the mid '60s. So I worked here dollar uh, fifteen an hour, little summer job, and then late in the afternoon I'd go out to university course and play. So that was when I first really started playing uh, and. These guys are working out uh, four or five days a week uh, during the summer now. I was playing golf four or five days <laughs> in the summer back then. <laughs> uh,
1: so what is, has what is endured all this time then, the, the passion for the game, even through coaching? It's, it's not easy to get out and, and play when you're coaching, <laughs> as all-encompassing as that is. So what, what's sustained that passion?
0: well like i said it's uh, really about the only sport you can play for forever because mm-hmm. um, physically it's not that demanding like tennis or anything like that uh so golf is uh you know get, have a game somebody's gonna win somebody's gonna lose mm-hmm. and uh it, it's fun to play well it is I, I don't play as well as i used to which is frustrating and it's mostly just bad swings and bad <laughs> bad putting something. it's not yeah. physical so much because when i when i make good contact it's it's similar to, to what it was uh 15 years ago probably
1: you talked about coach mac and and the way he's welcomed you and he's spoken very highly of you in the past mm-hmm. now obviously your relationship mm-hmm. has evolved since you've been here how has that changed over the years and in, in your relationship with him today
0: oh it's very similar i think it's always been uh I'll watch some tape of the opponents and give some suggestions to coach Nussmeyer and him sort of scribble out a little bit, mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. But, uh, yeah, I'm not actively involved in anything, uh, they do offensively. I like to tell people that I, uh, I'm active, very active with Eddie Pinero, our kicker and John Townsend, <laughs> our punter, because those guys are good. Those guys are good. We've, we've struggled on offense and, uh, I know we're all hoping it's going to get better. Uh, Felipe, uh, I think, has got a chance to really be a good quarterback. And, of course, the guys around him have to play well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kyle Trask is uh, a, a good player also. And uh, Kadarius Tony, he, he's going to get his hands on the ball. He's an uh, excellent runner, not a bad passer at all. So look for him to contribute this year
1: also. Just a couple more things as you wrap up. You talked about – coming back to Gainesville and moving back down here. You were gone for about 15 years, you and Jerry, and then you returned. So I'm Mm -hmm. curious, in what ways have you seen Gainesville change the most from your last stint to your current one?
0: Oh, let's see. More people, I guess, is just the biggest thing that's Mm -hmm. changed. Uh, The city's grown Mm -hmm. in all kind of directions, especially Newberry Road out that way and so forth. But, uh, we've, uh, actually built a house. It's, uh, it's going to be ready this summer. And, uh, it's, uh, right next to hell plantation area called Oakmont. So we're, we're looking forward to settling there and looking forward to seeing a lot of former, former teams come back. I'm mm-hmm. often asked to keep up with the 96 team. And, uh, I tell people, I try to keep up with all my teams, not just the 96. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they get recognized as being the only national championship team we had, but, uh, all those conference championship teams, there wasn't a whole lot of difference. Uh, uh, 96 scored a few more points, uh, but some of those other teams were really just as good. It just Mm -hmm. didn't work out. And the reason it worked out in 96 is after we lost at FSU, Ohio State had to lose one. Arizona State had to lose. Nebraska had to lose. We had to beat Alabama and FSU, and all that happened in the last month or so of the season. So we were very fortunate and blessed all of our guys know that and uh we're thankful for winning at least just one Mm -hmm. one big one
1: you talked about golf that's a big part of what you do now i know but what else have you been able to do and i I shouldn't say retirement you said as you said you do have a job but what have you and jerry been able to do in this period that you maybe couldn't do during your coaching career
0: well coaching now is uh you know, every day recruiting almost sure. you know, to all these coaches, and, and they're having less and less time uh, to get away and so forth. But uh, it's been off-season, uh, off-season year-round. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about it. And, and then uh, I've done some Gator clubs, done some booster work, events on campus here and so forth, and, and traveled a bit uh i got one son coaching at Western Kentucky. Steve Jr.'s coaching quarterbacks up there. My youngest son, Scott, he's down at University of South Florida uh, with the Bulls. He, he uh, helps uh, with the offense down there. So we've uh, traveled around to see them and so forth. Uh, my book came out this past year, Yes. Uh, HBC book, and uh, had a bunch of book signings and so forth. In fact, it's done a little better than we thought. They, uh, <laughs> they did a second printing, so that was good Very news. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, I, I've been, uh, being busy It's never been uh, difficult for me to find something to do.
1: You've written books. Mm-hmm. You've had a documentary done about you, and you're one of the most well-known figures in college football. Is there anything at this point that people don't know about you? Is there anything that would surprise people to find out about you and your life?
0: <sighs> Whatever it is, I hope they don't find out, okay?
1: <laughs> <laughs> every, every stone's been unturned?
0: Oh, I hope so. I don't know. They don't. They don't need to know too much. Uh, yeah, I've been. I've been really fortunate and blessed. Uh, I call last year my award season. Mm-hmm. It seems like when a coach resigns, retires, hangs it up, quits, whatever you want to call it, that uh, there's a whole bunch of awards waiting for him. Sure. So I got a bunch of them, and uh, going into the college uh, football hall of fame as a coach, and I was in as a player uh there's only four guys that have done that so that one was special also but uh most special biggest honor is still having my name on the stadium here uh, next to florida field that uh that that was really overwhelming and i'm deeply appreciative to my university for doing that
1: final thing for you you are one of the most impersonated figures in college sports Are you amused by all of the impressions of you, and who do you think does the best one?
0: Oh, I don't think anybody does them (laughs) very well. Uh, James Bates loves to do them, I guess, and some of those other guys. But I do have, uh, my voice is different. And uh, when I hear myself on video or whatever, Mm -hmm. I say, dang, my voice is different. (laughs) So when I'm walking through airports, I tell my wife, Jerry, I said, I can't talk. People recognize
1: my voice. Right. (laughs) But I can
0: put a hat and sunglasses on and get around pretty well,
1: uh, usually. Well, Coach, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it.
0: All right, my man. Good talking to you.